Super Talk Mississippi media production. Have you heard all the rave about the new Quick Grill located inside the Be Quick Chevron on Veterans Boulevard? Come visit Be Quick Chevron along with Quick Grill, Be Quick Food Marts, your locally owned hometown convenience store, wherever you are. What is up on a Monday? I am Brian Scott Rippey. My co-conspirator, as always, is Colin Brister. We appreciate you hanging out with us on this Monday, September 30th edition of the Rebel Report podcast. Um, locked and loaded show today. We've got Ole Miss loses 59-31 at Alabama. Some thoughts on that. Some general college football stuff from the weekend. Not a huge earth-shattering weekend, but some stuff that I think is consequential. Some NFL stuff. Basketball media day is today. You might get into that some. May save some of it for Wednesday. I don't know. We'll see. What's up? Man, not much. I, I, it, it has been a morning. But, uh, yeah, it was it was a pretty tame weekend from a sports perspective all the way around. Yeah, I mean, not a ton. Not very not very many good, I guess, college matchups that really um, would change the like dynamic of the year or the landscape of the college football playoff. But some pretty good games nonetheless and then a pretty good pretty good NFL slate. I guess without wasting too much time, let's just get right into it. Ole Miss loses 59-31 to Alabama in a result that was about what I expected. I didn't necessarily expect Ole Miss to score that many points against Alabama, but it it wasn't as completely destructive and demoralizing for Ole Miss as the last two trips have been. I mean, when you there's definitely a different vibe when you walk off when you watch them walk off the field and it's sixty six to three or sixty two to seven in a game where the other team could have very well scored a hundred if they wanted to. You could argue Alabama probably could have scored a hundred if they wanted to in this game, but Ole Miss was able to move the ball better as I reported on Friday afternoon. John Rice Plumley did in fact make his first career start. Uh, I thought he acquitted himself fairly well overall. He is very limited as a passer, uh, but used his feet pretty well. Um, I pretty much wrote after the game that there was two ways that this could go and or two extremes this could have gone and it landed somewhere in the middle. If he was a complete and colossal failure, then you would have pretty much pretty good quarterback clarity with Matt Corral, assuming he's healthy next week going into Vanderbilt, which I am hearing that he will be without much issue. And then if it was an overarching success, I think you would have to ride with Plumlee throughout the rest of the way. It probably felt it probably fell closer to the latter than the former, but at the same time, not a not a world-beating performance at all, and so it just makes the quarterback picture murkier. A 10-28, 25 rushes for 109 yards and a score. He threw for two touchdowns and an interception. It was okay. It's difficult to gauge because he's outmanned. Ole Miss doesn't really have a vertical downfield threat that they can rely on. You saw Jonathan Mingo do some nice stuff, but Again, 10-28 in pretty much any game is not going to cut it as a passer. So I don't really know what they do going forward. I don't know if he used Plumlee in just a package situation and let him use his feet because I did think his quickness jarred Alabama a little bit to where they didn't really – I mean, I think his quickness – I don't know if it's like surprised them, but he was. it seemed much faster than expected because he broke containment almost regularly. He made some plays with his feet, you know, design runs. They used a lot of 21 personnel – they did a lot of triple option-like concepts where they just let him read it, and he had two options with the two running backs in the backfield. It worked. I don't know if you use that as a package. Corral is definitely more polished as a thrower. I don't necessarily know what they're going to go from here, but Corral's leash is definitely shorter, but he's probably still the starter. 
Yeah, I don't I don't think you can start Plumley. I think if he'd have played extremely well on Saturday, I think he might have been your starting quarterback. Uh, going into Vanderbilt, but like you said, the 10 of 28, uh, that, that's not good enough, frankly. Uh, I, and, yeah, he, he really did make some plays with his feet. He's an extremely athletic kid. I wonder how much of that had to do with Alabama not being able to do much prep for him. I wonder how much that changes for Vanderbilt and if they're able to contain him and make him throw from inside the pocket uh, where I think he would struggle. So I think Matt Crow is going to be the starting quarterback on Saturday, assuming he's healthy. Uh, like you said, you're hearing he is. So uh, that, that's good for him. I, I expect him to be the starter on Saturday, but we'll see. Uh, I think I think what you mentioned about Plumley having some packages is certainly a possibility. But I think going forward, Matt Crow is still your starting quarterback. Yeah, I mean, it would be unwise not to use him because that, that speed was electric and it did throw Alabama, I don't want to say off guard, but it didn't look like, particularly on the defensive line, that they were necessarily anticipating the kid's quickness because he beat him to the edge a couple times and picked up a couple first downs near the sideline with his feet, particularly early on in the game. He shot, they used a couple design quarterback runs kind of between the tackles where he shot through the hole pretty quickly and was able to gain 9, 10, 11 yards. Without much trouble, he did try to hurdle a guy, which, you know, varying degrees of success there. But, but I guess point being is he's definitely very good with his feet. He has a long way to go as a passer. Matt Corral is definitely much more developed as a passer. So I think you have to go Corral next week. It's probably a little closer than I anticipated. I didn't know how Plum would fare. I don't know. Like, I, I didn't really necessarily know what my expectations were for him. I would say... Running-wise, he exceeded it, and passing-wise, it was about what I thought. Because, again, he was 10-28. They didn't give him ample opportunities to throw the ball downfield. It was a lot of short and underneath routes. Part of that is probably them not necessarily trusting him as a passer, and another part of that is more than likely the fact that Ole Miss really doesn't have a downfield threat, and that's really what's hurt the passing game. Probably more so than it's getting credit for is that, you know, for through two-and-a-half quarters, the best catch made in the game downfield was by a 5'9", 5'10", slot receiver. And so, you know, you're kind of starting to see Jonathan Mingo figure it out as he wades deeper into his freshman season. They're not really getting anything at all from Braylon Sanders. DeMarcus Gregory, not really either. And Miles Battle has been pretty much non-existent. So I think that probably plays into their struggles in the passing game as much as anything. Of course, some of it is, you know, Corral and Plum, we have a long way to go as passers but particularly Plumlee, Corral's definitely further along. Yeah, uh, and, and, and some of that some of that blame could go to the wide receivers. I don't know. I just, I just didn't see the – I'll be honest. I didn't see the SEC-type arm strength that you that you got to have to succeed at quarterback in this league. Um, and maybe maybe that gets, gets better over time. But And I didn't really think it was an accuracy issue. I just think there's some, some deficiencies in arm strength that he's going to either have to overcome or get stronger at. So uh, – I think the kid has to play, but I, I don't think he's the guy that you want to roll in right now for four quarters in a football game and expect to win. I just I wonder how much of it, though, was Alabama and what they did on the back end. Particularly, Alabama was a little vulnerable up front. I'm surprised Ole Miss didn't try to run the football more with Scotty Phillips and with Jerry Neely. And I say that Ely had 11 carries, which I think is a season high for him, which also obviously be a career high. But Alabama was fairly vulnerable in their front seven because of the injuries they've had at linebacker. Some youth on the defensive line. You know, it looked like they tried to supplement that with Plumlee because he did run the ball 25 times. I don't think that's any accident that he's inserted into the game. And he leads the team in carries and yards. Richard wanted to use him a lot. I think he knew he was probably pretty limited as a passer. But I wonder how much of that, as far as him struggling to throw the football, 
was Alabama, and and just because it's a young defense, but it's still a fairly formidable Alabama defense. I just wonder if Plumlee had made this start against Vanderbilt and he goes twenty of thirty-two for two hundred and two touchdowns. What that, how differently the quarterback picture looks. Yeah, I mean that's certainly fair. Um, I don't think that he would produce those numbers, but if he did, I mean you you've certainly got a uh, certainly got a situation on your hands. I thought Grant Sisdale, his only drive looked pretty good throwing the football. Um, and you know I don't necessarily him playing one drive in a blowout it tells me he's probably not you know. Uh, involved with a quarterback situation going forward this year. But I don't know. I thought Plumlee did some good things. I also I just don't know if he's ready to be your starting quarterback in the SEC right now. So uh, we'll see. Uh, if Matt Crowell's not healthy, he's going to start on Saturday, and then that would be the game I'm interested in. That'll be the game that I, you know, you can have a better gauge in because, frankly, he'll have time to make decisions and, and take advantage of opportunities, whereas that wasn't readily available on Saturday. Yeah. I don't understand the Tisdale thing because he was perceived all along as being a little bit ahead of Plumlee as far as being the backup quarterback because he did have the spring. He did have more time to kind of get the system down. Obviously, he was a he was a, about a, a, a I mean, he was basically a spring's worth ahead of Plumlee in that regard. I don't understand that. I don't understand not using him more. Uh, Matt, Matt Luke was asked about it after the game whether they gave thought to playing Grant Tisdale more, and he said no, not really. I might have played him a drive earlier. I, I don't particularly understand that. I know it was the end of the game. I know Alabama didn't have their starters in defensively. I know the game was well in hand by that point, but I mean he looked pretty good on the two passes he threw. He threw a nice ball to the left, right corner of the end zone to Jaden Jackson at the end of the game. I, I don't understand why he's not even getting more of a of a look because if you're get because Plumlee and now I believe it more so than anything went into that Cal game by kind of almost by chance because they wanted a design quarterback run. Obviously, you can see why he went in because if they were wanting to call a quarterback run because of how quick he is. I, I don't understand why if I guess they if they want I guess they still think Corral is the guy and want him to be the guy, and they don't want to open up the can of worms with Tisdale. But if Corral struggles again, I don't understand why you like why you wouldn't give Tisdale at least a look. You have four games to work with. He hasn't really shown anything unless they're seeing something in practice that they're not letting on as far as to us, which could very well be the case. I don't understand why he's not getting at least more of a look. I don't understand what you would have lost. You played him for a drive at the end. What do you lose by giving him four, three drives in the fourth quarter? It saves Plumlee from getting hurt. You can kind of evaluate him more. I don't understand that. Yeah, I'm kind of with you. I feel like they probably should have should have played the kid a little bit more. Look, and, and I don't want to do this too early, but man, they've got three freshman quarterbacks. You want them to do everything possible to keep those kids here as long as possible. I don't feel like playing Grant Tisdale one drive in the fourth quarter was the best way to go about that. So it'll be interesting going forward. I think I don't understand. I'm with you. I don't understand how he's not getting more of an opportunity to play, uh, especially when that thing got out of hand on Saturday and you really weren't having much success through the air. So I, you know, they're they're, they're paid a lot of money and are a lot smarter than me in football, but. I, I feel like the, the kid probably deserves an opportunity, if, if, especially if Corral's not ready to go on Saturday. Well, I think Corral will be ready to go. I get your point, though. But my thing is, it's just if he struggles again, and he has another quarter like he has again in the third quarter against Cal, like, yeah, you might go Plumley. As far as I don't think Corral can necessarily survive another slow start offensively. 
Like, if he has the third quarter against Cal, say that's one of the first two quarters against Vanderbilt, I don't know if he survives that. I just don't understand why Tisdale's not given an equal look as Plumlee because you know you can use Plumlee anyway in packages and stuff like that. Why not give Grant Tisdale an opportunity to throw the ball a little bit and see? I, it just it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, because, again, you're not losing anything by it. Obviously, at this point, Plumlee is very limited as a passer. Tisdale comes from one of the best high school programs in the country. Polished kid. You know, in fall camp, he was at least talking like he was going to be the backup quarterback. He may have been given the impression that he was the backup he quarterback. He was given that impression. I, I don't know, but it's 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 interesting the way that's played out is where he's kind of become the odd man out. And I don't necessarily understand why because, again, whether, unless they're seeing something in practice that they're not letting on, and that could obviously very well be the case, he hasn't done anything in the two – I mean, the one drive that he's played and everything else, and as far as the spring game, from what you can gain from that, to at least not, not at least, I guess, be worthy of an opportunity, I don't necessarily understand it. Um, so that'll be interesting to follow going forward, because if there's one guy, like, you're looking way too far ahead, but you got three freshman quarterbacks, writing on the wall says all three are not staying for the next three years. If there's one guy to go, it's Tisdale, because Plumlee's got the baseball thing, He's got all that. Corral, if he remains the starter, obviously not going anywhere. I mean, if you're if you're if you're telling me to bet on a guy as far as roster attrition that leaves, it's Tisdale. And like, you know, if he, I'll be interested to see if he ends up being the odd man out, goes somewhere else in two years, what that looks like and how successful he is, and what kind of program it's at. Yeah, and you're adding it, adding an extremely talented kid as long as you add it, you know, contain his commitment and Robbie Ashford from Hoover. So. That quarterback room is going to get real young and real uh, loaded pretty quickly. So, it, I think you got you got to be real careful. You got to walk that that pretty fine line if, if you're trying to keep all three on campus. Yeah, I mean, there's I, I don't think there's I, I'll I guess I'll go out on a limb here. I don't think there's any way that's possible anyway. No, but I think it's possible for next year. I think you can keep them all for one more year if you do it right. I guess, but if you're in a three-way, if I'm 18 years old and my freshman year went the way Tisdale's is going right now, and you still got two guys and one is seen as the incumbent starter, I'm probably looking elsewhere. Well, that's why I say you should, you know, give him an opportunity. <laughs> that's that's why that's why you do everything you can to make sure you that he understands that he's got a chance to be the starting quarterback at Ole Miss instead of just throwing him over there on the bench and forgetting he exists. Yeah, I mean, he had a 500 quarterback rating <laughs> but you mentioned a good point I mean he's a he's a four-star kid from one of the best high school programs in the country in Texas he's probably more developed as a quarterback than any of the any of the freshmen I just don't I don't really understand him not look I understand Plumlee being your starter he played really well against California I get that I don't understand why after halftime you didn't give this kid three or four drives it, 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 that didn't make sense to me and the game's not in doubt. It was 38-10 to 10 at halftime. You're not crawling back into the game. I don't know. I thought that was a missed opportunity. Uh, as far as other impressions in the game, Ole Miss is really young. A true freshman touched the ball on every offensive snap. I know that's kind of obvious because um, because Plumlee, of course, took the snap every time at quarterback. But you had a true freshman, I believe, account for every single touchdown Ole Miss scored on the day. It was Mingo, Ely, and then Plumlee. Yeah. So. Yep. I mean, this is a, if you needed any evidence, and I wrote this on Saturday night, or maybe it was in the day after column I wrote yesterday, I don't remember. If you needed any evidence that Ole Miss is a young football team that's building, like Saturday was it. And I'm not going to go the whole moral victory route. Matt Luke was asked about it. 
after the game. He said, no, we came here to win. Like, we got a fan base who wants to win now. All that jazz. That's his quote, not mine, obviously. But there was some good to be taken away from this on the offensive side. Ole Miss, people don't necessarily – I don't think people – the frustrated faction of, like, the fan base probably won't necessarily want to hear this. But Ole Miss is getting better. You can tell that offensively. They're running the ball better. The offensive line is getting better. Jonathan Mingo is one of the young receivers kind of starting to figure some things out. Elijah Moore obviously still remains good. You saw Jaden and Dennis Jackson. They each had a they each had a uh, reception. They each had a 28-yard reception, which is kind of weird when you look at it on a stat sheet because they have almost the exact same name. And, of course, Jaden's goes for a touchdown, but you're seeing more and more of the young guys figure it out. Ewey's starting to figure it out a bit. 11 carries, 68 yards. Did some nice things in pass protection. Snoop Connor, 10 carries, 62 yards. They're improving as a football team. The problem was is September was their litmus test, and they failed the hardest two parts. Yep, yep, and, and they've got to figure out a way to make up for that. I think, it, look, if that team that showed up in Tuscaloosa shows up in Columbia, Missouri, or Strongville, Mississippi, I think they can give those two teams a dogfight. Uh, if they show up against Texas A&M, I think they can give Texas A&M a dogfight. But you got to be consistent. That's going to be the thing over the next two months is how consistent are they with that play. Because, I, like I said, if, those, if that team shows up again, those three games, they're going to have an opportunity in the fourth quarter. Uh, Texas A&M is not a very good football team. Mississippi State is not a very good football team. Missouri's a pretty good team. Uh, uh, but I think you can stay on the field with them. So I, I, that's going to be the key to me is, look, they, they play, to me, about as well as you can on offense on Saturday. Now bring that, you know, all, all the, the rest of the season and, and see where you stand. Yeah, just the problem is what, they're going to have to go 4-4 four and four in the league? Uh, yeah, yeah. And I, I don't see that, but... I think you can sell five and seven with a win at start or five and seven with a win over Texas A&M. I don't think you can sell four and eight. Yeah, I guess that's fair. And just finishing that off, yeah, I talked about on on Friday show or Wednesday, whatever it was last week. The um the as far as the remaining schedule, having winnable games left, Auburn appears to be out. They appear to be in the, yeah, yeah, in, that's, the, that's in the one with LSU. And Alabama, you thought that was probably going to be the case anyway. But like Auburn's one, I didn't know what kind of team they were going to be. So I was hesitant to say, okay, as soon as they get off the bus in Auburn, the game is not going to be in doubt. That's looking more like the case. Now, Auburn's really good. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, Before I go on to what I saw on the defensive side of the ball podcast, brought to you by LBs. Go see them there on University Avenue across from Kroger. You've got steaks, you've got sausages. Go in there and get some jalapeno poppers, get some mushrooms. Um, I might do that tonight. It's going to be, I think, a nice night. Weather-wise, it's cooling down slightly. Maybe throw something on the grill, watch this heavyweight fight between the Bengals and the Steelers on Monday Night Football. Um, (laughs) Battle of Andy Dalton and and Mason Rudolph. The the showdown we've all been waiting for. I might throw something on the grill for it, but uh, Greg's a good guy. Greg's got the meats. Go see them at LB's University Avenue. Um, again, I might go by there today. It depends on how yeah, much time I'm sitting here thinking conference. I might have to go there about go go there for lunch now. I have to go to Oxford here in a minute. I might go grab some lunch there in a minute. Yeah, that um, that that uh, yeah. I mean, I, it's it's that kind of time of year. It's grilling season, so go see Greg. He's got the meats. Um, throw something on the grill for Bengal Steelers. I <laughs> I probably told this story on the podcast, but um. But I was this summer. I was asking my, you know, NFL games just have, or like people. I don't think people who don't go to NFL games regularly don't understand 
how like blue collar the environment can be. Yeah. And I was asking my boss uh, this uh, two summers ago in Cincinnati because like the the Bengals uh, stadium is right by Great American Ballpark. Right. And so I was like, you go to many Bengals games. He was like, I mean, I have over the years. He's like, it's not always a family friendly environment. I've got two kids now. And I think like Bing, they were like we got on the topic of Bengal Steelers, and I was like, "Yeah, I bet that's a pretty uh, cool environment." And he basically looked at me and was like, "Hell no, I would not take my kids to Bengal Steelers games." Like, are you crazy? <laughs> he was being dead serious, though. He wasn't like joking. Like, he was like, "Hell no, I would never take my kids to a Bengal Steelers game, particularly if it's at night. Like, that's asking to get assaulted." And I was like, "Dear God!" <laughs> oh God, that that NFL fans take it a little more serious than college fans, I think. Yeah, but it's just a more blue-collar crowd. You have not longer-standing rivalries, but it's just, it, it, I don't know. Go, it, be, most people that have been to an NFL tailgate probably know what I'm talking about. I don't mean that necessarily as a bad thing, but it's a different environment than a college tailgate, particularly when you're tailgating in the middle of a downtown area. Yeah, yeah. And that was fun yesterday. College not so much on Saturday. Uh. I didn't get to watch a ton of college football on Saturday. I, actually, I, I'm skipping around here. I, I broke for the LB's ad. I had some defensive thoughts. Let's wrap that up real quick. Okay. So, defensively, Alabama receiving core, okay. I, I got cracked up on, uh, with the people on Twitter. It's like, Ole Miss can't tackle. I'm like, dude, nobody can tackle Jerry Judy. It is what it is, man. Just let it go. It'll be all right. Uh, yeah, no, that's 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 definitely – um. Hold on, what do you want him to do? He's better than them. That's so. Yeah, so I had some defensive thoughts before we kind of get going on the on the rest of the college football scene. Alabama def- secondary good. Yeah, or excuse me, yeah. receiving core, receiving core. I've got my brain, my wires tied today. Yeah, I mean, look, Ole Miss didn't have much of an answer on Saturday. Not, a lot of teams are not going to have an answer on Saturday for Alabama's wide receivers. They're really good. They're playing rock paper scissors to see who got to score touchdowns against Southern Miss. So. You know, it just kind of is what it is from that perspective. You knew going in it was going to be a long day in the secondary. If you didn't, God help you. Um, it just kind of is what it was. They, it, they were never going to stop them. I don't think you can accurately portray how the secondary played because they, Alabama's receivers are just better than them. It, it is what it is. I don't think they got beat, uh, you know, on technicalities and fundamentals. I think Alabama's receivers just make plays because, like I said, they're better than Ole Miss's secondary. Yeah, but the issue is, and I wrote this yesterday in the day after series. Excuse me. Um, so the, a lot of young guys played on in Alabama in, in the secondary against Alabama. AJ Finley, DeAndre Prince. Um, I'm leaving someone else out. I, I, I'm off the top of my head, and that wasn't by accident. We asked Mike McIntyre after the game, and he's like, "Yeah, that's on purpose. They're good athletes. They're going to be good football players for us." And they need to learn how to play, and I, that's important to me. That's important in my mind on two fronts. Is one, I think he's not hesitant to play the younger guys because one, Jaywin Jones doesn't appear to be back at the level he was pre ACL injury. It's just not happening at this moment. I mean, that's I know that's a subjective thing, but it just doesn't appear that that's the case right now. I don't know if he would admit that. I hope he gets back to that for the sake of I hate seeing kids' careers change over injuries and it just being outside their control a la Tony Connor, whatever you want to call it or whatever example you want to use Miles Hartsfield has struggled pretty badly and Kedron Smith is dealing with the shoulder issue that's kind of nagging him they're not getting the production from some of the older guys that they originally counted on 
So, like, it's it's DeAndre Prince, it's A.J. Finley, it's – I mean, who am I missing? Um, That's pretty much it. No, but, yeah. uh, Jay Stanley was out there as well. Like, they played a lot of snaps. And I, I say all that to say is, one, it sounds like they're going to rely on those guys more so than you think. They're going to play a lot of guys. But it'd be hard to indict Ole Miss for what happened this week because, I mean, hell – Devonta Smith, the third best receiver in that Alabama receiving court, and I say this more so to to get across the point of how strong the Alabama receiving court is, not an indictment on Miss, had four touchdowns on 221 yards on eight catches at halftime. He's probably the third talented out of those four, with Waddle being the one behind him. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it probably goes Judy, Ruggs, Smith, Waddle as far as pure talent. I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah. He had five touchdowns. Yeah. What do you do, man? Like, I mean, I, I don't know. And then if you want to blow the box or, or if you want to not load the box, they're going to run with Najee Harris on you and you're not going to have a prayer of stop at him. So, look, I, I didn't I didn't think there was much you could read out of Saturday for an Ole Miss defense. I thought the defensive line actually played pretty well. Um, they got after to it, I mean, just a little bit. But, yeah, I mean, it is what it is. They were out, man. They weren't ever going to be able to stop them. Just move on and go go. Go play Vanderbilt as hard as you can if you're the Ole Miss defense. They did some good things up front, but I say all of that to say is, one, Alabama's going to do that to a lot of teams. They're a top-five offense in college football. I'm thinking LSU. I'm thinking Oklahoma up there as well, kind of in that neighborhood. Yeah. Because they've transformed themselves from, it's interesting to say, been around 15, 16, there was kind of a recruiting change, and it may have just been because he stumbled on Tua. I don't know, but it changed from, we're going to have three backs that are going to bludgeon you over the head. We're going to play really good defense, and we're going to have a quarterback that's not going to. We're not going to win in spite of. He's going to make enough right decisions to kind of get us down the field. Now it's you barely know the running back's name after Najee Harris, and they're throwing to three of the best receivers in the country with one of the best passers in the country. I mean, look at what Jalen Hurts is doing at uh, Oklahoma, and Tua took his job without a shadow of a doubt. <laughs> Jalen's real good, and uh, yeah, he couldn't trust that. Yeah, I, I, now yeah. I will say Jalen's improved as a passer. He was limited as a passer at Alabama, oh, a, sure, a lot sure. more limited. And I think some of that is Lincoln Riley's system. But point being, it's being it's inter- been interesting to watch Alabama's transformation offensively because man, that's a scary that is a scary machine right now. But I say all of that to say I keep belaboring the point here. You can't indict Ole Miss for Saturday, but if they make Riley Neal at Vanderbilt. Look like that. Look like no. Look like Chase Garbers. They're That's not going to compete in another game. If you make the Kellen Mons, the Raleigh Neals of the world, if you let them set four career highs like Garbers did, you let them throw for three, four touchdowns, three hundred fifty yards. You're not going to compete. Ole Miss has to clamp down on the average limited quarterback. They can't allow that. So it's hard to indict them for what they did Saturday. Alabama is going to do that to a lot of teams. Probably every team not named LSU, and they might struggle a little with Auburn. Even as good as LSU secondary is, they're not. They're not going to do that to Auburn. Me, I don't know, man. LSU, Auburn secondary isn't near as good as LSU's, and I think there's going to be plays in that game when Alabama plays LSU where those guys get loose and make them look silly. Obviously, it's not going to happen as consistently as he did, but there's some plays on that with the way they, the routes they run, and how physical they are. There's not. There's not a whole lot you could do, no matter how good of a DB you are. I mean, it's just not. So there's sure, but. But I also think Auburn, and, and this game, I think Auburn's D-line is going to get after two or some. But, yeah, I mean, look, what do you, what do, you do if you're Ole Miss? You, you, you're playing a bunch of young kids against three of the best receivers in the country. You didn't have a prayer. It just is what it is. You go on, 
and maybe you take something from that to use against Vanderbilt because uh, that, that's the game that matters right now. Frankly, everybody in the world except for maybe a few homers knew what was going to happen on Saturday. Uh, and it happened, and, and you move on, and you get better from it. And, and that's what Ole Miss has to do. They have to be ready to go on Saturday. And, frankly, and, and there's no beating around the bush on this. We can talk about this later on in the week. It's a must-win game for this program in Matt Luke. You lose this one on Saturday, and, and man, you got problems. It's a whole other conversation about the trajectory of the program, the future of, the, of Matt Luke as head coach, and whatever else you want to throw in there. If you lose to Vanderbilt as a six-and-a-half-point favorite, I believe is what it opened as, at home like that, it's an entirely different conversation about where your program's going. Because you're coming off a week where there's tangible evidence from that Alabama game, whether you dislike Luke, like Luke, any rational person that sat there and watched that game is, yes, Ole Miss was outmatched, yes, Ole Miss has all kinds of problems, but they're getting better, particularly on the offensive side. They're starting to figure things out. A little bit. And shocker, a young team with a new system, a new offensive coordinator, it was going to take time. They're getting better. But eventually there's got to be results. And this is a week where you have to put it on paper results-wise. But again, as I keep saying, if you're talking big picture as far as Luke's tenure at Ole Miss, moving, beating Vanderbilt is not going to move the needle. You need to pick off an A&M. You need to pick off a Missouri. You need to pick off a, a state. Something like that where a team that you perceive as, where the fan base perceives as slightly better than you, you go and win the game. That's the kind of that's the kind of wins Matt Luke is missing. And of course, season and a half, two seasons if you want to count the interim year. That's really what's kind of been missing there. I would say he had two of them in his interim year. Kentucky was probably a little better than Ole Miss when they went and beat him. And the state, of course, was. Then you had the backup quarterback thing with Fitzgerald. But since Matt Luke has taken over as permanent head coach, that's the kind of wins he's been missing. But as far as this next weekend goes, to your point. It, it, they have to win that game because I don't. I, I don't really know where that thing goes if you don't. Yeah, I mean, look, you lose to Vanderbilt, and, and you're going three and nine at that point. I don't really have, know how you can sell winning another football game if you lose to Vanderbilt. Um, and three and nine is, is, like you said, a different conversation that, that you start having. I, I don't know if, if three and nine is survivable, frankly. It might be. It might not be. There's a lot of you know categories that that, that falls into, but. And just win the football game and probably everything's safe. That, that's why this one's such such a big deal for Ole Miss. And really, with the way the SEC's lining up, and you hit it on it a second ago, I wanted to hold up until we transition out of that out of the Ole Miss game. I think we about covered it. We'll get into the quarterback thing a little bit more later in the week. Yeah. But Missouri, but but Mississippi State looks very, very pedestrian, very average. Texas A&M looks very average. And... Missouri is not necessarily world beating, so you can look at it if you're Ole Miss on two fronts. And I don't think the coaching staff necessarily looks at it like this. They might, if they had just beaten Memphis or Missouri, their path to a bowl game. You're kind of starting to count it on your fingers, and you're like, this could actually happen. To whereas now it's like, eh, they might get lucky, but probably not. Yeah, I mean, now your path is you've got to. I think if you're if you're talking about making a bowl game, obviously Saturday is is, is a must win. Uh, I think you have to beat A&M at home, and then you have to split Missouri and Mississippi State. Is that likely? I would argue probably not. Uh, but I don't think there's any path to uh, making a bowl game without beating Vanderbilt and, and Texas A&M at home. Well, yeah, <laughs> of course not. I mean, well, I mean, I'm, I'm, I mean, you could talk me into beating Missouri and Mississippi State on the road and losing to A&M at home, but 
I think the, I think you've got to win home games at this point. I don't think the odds of going to Como and winning are very high, frankly. Yeah, it's almost like this past week at Alabama was a week, if you're looking at it at Ole Miss through an objective lens, you saw that there's evidence of them improving, but it was probably a week or two too late in terms of really capitalizing on a chance to win a winnable game. And then on the other front, this week you're going to actually learn a lot about the team. You're going to learn a lot about probably quarterback. And Matt Corral comes out and he goes, you know, 18 of 25 for 230 and two touchdowns. The offense looks okay. He's doing it. He's the starter going forward. You have Plumley for packages. I think they have to do that. I think both quarterbacks are going to continue to play. But I think the Plumley package could work like a Taysom Hill deal. Because that was the biggest thing that stuck out to me on Saturday as far as Plumley. You could criticize his throwing and all of that. Like there's there's time and a place for that as far as like him being limited as a passer. But that quickness and that burst of speed was beyond what I was expecting. Oh, yeah, he can absolutely fly. And so they would be foolish not to use that. And what's interesting to me, I was having trouble articulating this into words on Saturday night after the game, partly because I was riding from a van on the way to Columbus, Mississippi. We'll get into that in a second. But uh, it's almost like Corral's been – like Rich Rodriguez, I would say Khalil Tate is the ideal quarterback for his system. Now you say, obviously, it's Khalil Tate. But as far as a a super quick, super athletic kid that can run – and throws well enough. And you're, I'm thinking Pat White as well. I'm thinking Denard Robertson. Super quick, super athletic, right? So Corral has been okay enough as a passer. You know, his inaccuracies, all that aside, he's been okay enough as a passer and a willing enough runner. But there seems to be like a missing element as far as running the football with the quarterback that's not allowed the offense to flow as smoothly. And I wonder if intermittent doses of Plumley in that maybe solves that and allows everything to be a little smoother. Yeah, it's certainly fair. It's just a weird situation because obviously the kid doesn't get the spring and he comes in with a new offensive coordinator. I'm fascinated how how it moves forward with with Corral and Plumley. I think you're right; they've got to play him. Um, if you don't play him, I think you're misusing your offense. But also, I'm not sure that he's your starting quarterback. It's it, you know, going forward. So I, I, I don't know. And, and another question is, and this is for a later date, if he's not going to be your starting quarterback, do you put him somewhere that you're going to get more snaps or do you leave him in that in that package role? Um, so I'm, I'm kind of fascinated with how they will they handle that. And that doesn't even include the baseball dynamic. Because if he is your starting quarterback, can he play baseball? So it's a, it's, there's a lot going on with John Rice Plumlee. I wonder if Mike Bianco appreciated all the super original Twitter jokes about baseball when he threw a pass to Jerry Neely. Think Mike was scrolling Twitter? Uh, well, you know, Gary Danielson said that uh, Ely and, and Plumley are both going to be starting outfielders for Ole Miss this year. I saw that. And the last time a certain media member that may or may not have worked in-house accidentally announced a starter, he got yelled at a lot. So I Yeah, wonder I don't if... think Gary uh, knew what he was talking about there, but yeah, we'll We'll leave that. Leave that alone. I'm going to tell five. I'll get him Gary Danielson's number if that means he'll yell at him like he yells at me. There you go. There you go. Five was not happy when you announced that Brady Feigl was going to start, was it? He was not. Um, <laughs> miss you, Mike. Anyway, so that'll be interesting to watch play out. But I, I do think there's a world here where I, this is going to sound stupid, and I don't have a better way to put it. But intermittent spurts of Plumley doing the things he does with his feet could provide the Khalil Tate factor, the the Denard Robinson-like factor. Not that he's anything like them. 
bear with me here. I'm talking about the ability to run with the quarterback that makes Rich Rod offense run smoother. Because to me, without going back and comparing a Michigan or an Arizona game film, aside from some passing limitations, that more looked more like a, a, a Rich Rodriguez play call sheet from a game. Like that looked more like a Rich Rodriguez script. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Uh, that, that felt like more like what he wanted to do. Um, but we'll see going forward how they handle it. I think that's one of the more compelling storylines going throughout the season is how they, how they you know, develop the snap between Matt Corral and John Rice Plumley, obviously. Um, so that, I think, I think for, as soon as Saturday, we'll be able to see kind of what their game plan is for the rest of the season. Yeah, so you'll learn a lot about this team on Saturday. I think that pretty much wraps up the game. Two up, good. Alabama receivers, good. Ole Miss secondary, not. Uh, offense, okay. They did enough nice things. Look, the the way they needed to go into that week was to go into where you go back to Oxford, you get back on the bus, and you don't feel completely terrible about yourself as a football team, and there's stuff you can build on. I think they accomplished that, if nothing else. Look, and, and this is from the naked eye. I was watching on TV. I haven't looked at uh, PFF grades. I felt the offensive line played okay on Saturday. For what hell has they got over the, over the past you know five games? Justifiable hell, too. Their best game of the year on Saturday. Yeah, no, I, I would agree with that. I'll be interested to see what happens when the grades come out. But, again, some of that may have been masked by Plumlee's quickness and being able to escape sure, the pocket, sure. but I think they were okay. They were in the ball okay. They averaged 4.8 4. yards a carry. Yeah, I mean, I thought they didn't. I don't think they got overmanned all the time. No, Isaiah Willard got in this game, too. I didn't actually I didn't notice that. I was yeah, probably yeah, on the yeah. field at that point. Anyway... Um, so that's probably about all I've got from this game. We'll get more into it on Wednesday. I'll probably have a Vandy guy on Wednesday to uh, get you primed on the doors in their huge win over Northern Illinois. Uh, that they tried to bluff? Yeah, they did. They uh, they blew the cover when Northern Illinois went for two, depending on where you got it. Um, yeah. Around the SEC, around college football, general impressions, Auburn blitz state. Yeah, Auburn's going to piss off Georgia or Alabama when they come into Jordan Hare in November and get their ass kicked. I have been saying this for two months. I don't like, like, I'm not big, like, give credit guy, but holy crap, I'm going to go to war on the radio show today. Hey, Dad's been saying Auburn's going in 75, Gus is getting fired. I'm like, if the quarterback is okay, they have all the other pieces to be good. That defensive line is nasty. That defensive front is nasty. Horse God. He's learning. They're probably, if, if they have an established veteran quarterback, they're a playoff contender. This is legitimately a three-horse race if he's established. Now, can Nick's progress to the level that gets him to that level this year? Probably not, but he's Man. not costing them games right now, and so that's know. why you're seeing it. That dude's good. That dude can play. But he's going um, to be even better. Yeah, they're going to beat Auburn. Or they're going to beat Florida in the swamp on Saturday. Uh, frankly, I don't really think that game's going to be close. I, I could be wrong and Florida may win, but I think they beat Florida by 10 to 14 points on Saturday. And it's good. that's going to set up a fascinating uh, late October and November with LSU, Georgia, and Alabama coming in. Well, Georgia and Alabama coming into Auburn. Auburn's got to go to LSU. Uh, Auburn puts themselves in a position where I, they're going to go 9-3 and three or 10-2, and two, and Gus is going to be back. This is what he does every year. In the absence of all logic, any other reasons, defense, running backs, whatever, offensive line, you want to say it, this is what Gus does. Like This isn't necessarily a three-group a three group party here yet. I'm not ready to call it that. But Gus is going to be the dude that lobs the turd in the punch bowl. Like when Al- like For LSU and Alabama and Georgia, the SEC picture getting in the college playoff, he's going to be the dude that can wreak havoc. He gets two of them at home. 
I wouldn't put it completely past them to go hang with LSU for a long time down in Baton Rouge. I don't see them winning that game. I don't necessarily see them winning either of the three, but they're going to scare the hell out of at least two of them, and they could really... I'd say they're going to win one. They're going to ruin somebody's year. (laughs) They're going to ruin one of those two, three teams a season. Well, I think what can happen is maybe they lose to Georgia and Alabama rolls in there and gets their tail kicked. And what that what that causes is, okay, whereas the SEC maybe could have gotten two teams in the playoffs, now you're only getting one, and then whoever wins the SEC championship game. There's also an argument to be made. If they beat two out of the three, they're probably going to the playoff. Oh, well, if they beat two out of three, they're probably, yeah. I mean, they're probably going to the SEC title game if they win two out of three, though. Um well, if, if one of the three is Alabama, uh, or one of the two is Alabama. But, I mean, well, you go two and one of that stretch, and you're 11 and one. Tell me how you're not a top four team in the country. Yeah, so they've got a puncher's chance. Like if you you're, want to know who the best team in the country is, though? Ohio State. That is correct. They're an issue. <laughs> Justin Fields is really good. Imagine playing Jake Fromm over Justin Fields. Yeah, I, I, that's a little bit of a different scenario because, like, if Fromm hadn't had that national title run as a freshman, that's probably not even a conversation. Yeah, but, like, does Kirby not have eyes? You know? I, I got you on that, but, like, don't you think Kirby's like, eh, I'm going to go get another Justin Fields in two years? Maybe, but I probably just would have won the national title with Justin Fields is probably what I'd have done because that kid's a boss. That's fair. Um, He looks like a young Cam Newton. Now, at the same time, at the same time, both things can be true. I agree wholeheartedly. Ohio State looks like the best team in the country. Uh, Nebraska sucks. They do. They are not very good. But also, Ohio State was up thirty-eight nothing on the road at halftime. <laughs> like, holy crap! It was a mauling. You know who else was? Penn State, Maryland. Not great. Yeah, yeah. Loxley's not very good. Um, you know who's not very good? Relatively speaking, Clemson. They're, they've got issues. Uh, frankly, I don't think they're a top five team in the country right now. I'm inter- It's interesting to me with Clemson because I watched some of that game on my laptop during the Ole Miss game. And um, I-, I wonder, yes, they have issues. I'm not denying that. I do wonder, though, because if you look at the talent at each position there, you know, you got Travis Etienne at running back still. You still got Trevor Lawrence. I just wonder if it's an issue thing, or are they bored? They they are bored, absolutely. But I feel like when you're up, you know, twenty-one to fourteen in the fourth quarter, you should probably become unbored. No, that's fair, and I think they'll figure it out by November. And I think they're probably working through some things as well. But I also think boredom's a factor. I mean, there's no one. There's they're not. Who are they losing to? And I think they know that. Yeah. Yeah, and that's probably going to be why they don't, you know, make the national title game this year is because you don't have that drive all year when there's nobody on their schedule now that can beat them. North Carolina's had them at home and couldn't do it. I don't really see anybody else that can can beat them. There's not a Notre Dame, Florida State, horrific. I mean, it is what it is. They're going to go 12 and 0 and win the ACC title, and I guess make the playoff if you know somebody else, if, if you know the other leagues cannibalize themselves like they probably will. But I don't think this is a Clemson team that can win the national title again either. Speaking of cannibalization, it's illegal in the United States, and so instead of doing that, you should eat other forms of meat, like LB's Meat Market on University University Avenue across from Kroger. Go see Greg. Go get a custom-cut steak. Go get some sausage. 
I don't know, maybe some jalapeno poppers, maybe some mushrooms, all kinds of meats there. LB's is awesome. Eating other humans is not awesome. You should go see Greg at LB's because he's got the meats. That was an A-plus segue read. Jesus, I didn't even know we were setting that up. Oh, I wasn't. It just kind of popped into my brain, which is how most things on this show go. So that was a, uh, if you're you're listening, Greg, I'm not advocating for cannibalization. I'm advocating for people to go to your store. You should definitely go check out LB's. Again, I might actually go, I might go up there this afternoon and get something for this Monday night game. Bingo Steelers, go see Greg. He's got the meats. So that was your anti-cannibalization ad for the day. Um, any fo- I don't think there was much else around the country as far as college nah, football. It was a pretty boring weekend. Uh, USC, I watched some of that game. It's like they were in the game, but they weren't. Helton has they to, were never going to win. He, Helton has to win the Pac-12 to save his job. I don't think he's going to do that. They're too flawed. Well, I wonder if that dynamic changes when you're playing your third-string quarterback. That, I, I would agree with you normally. I would agree with you if they had an AD and they had a president, but they're trying to clean house, and he's the last peg, in my opinion. Yeah, maybe so. I just man, playing your third string quarterback seems unfair. No, it is, and it, he, him being fired, you could argue if they go like ten and two or something, or nine and three, is going to be quote unquote unfair. But they wanted him out. The fan base views him as incompetent. I've mentioned this Speaking on this, of, on this yeah, podcast before. And me and Antonio text back and forth a decent bit, and we were just kind of talking about. The way the, the LS, a USC fan base views Helton and the way some of the Ole Miss fan base views Matt Luke is not all that dissimilar. Oh, no. Yeah. But anyway, so, you know, they're cleaning house. I think no matter what he does, he's gone, which is not fair. I think he'll be okay, though. He'll get a nice buyout. I think he'll be a good coach somewhere else. Yeah, I don't think he's necessarily a bad coach. Speaking of coaches that were let go that were extremely successful, the, uh, the Cubs moved on yesterday. They did, and Joe Madden, I would qualify him as the fall guy. It probably needed to happen. They probably need a change. But, man, if you're Theo Epstein and you get this managerial change wrong and the club sucks next year, you don't do the lane, the, the the right things in free agency. Like, I, I get why they, it's like one of those fickle things in baseball. I get why they moved on from Madden, but to say it was Madden's fault is probably a little bit disingenuous as well. Yeah. Look, man, you look at Joe Madden five years, and look, I thought the Cubs should have moved on. But it's hard to, like, get wrap your mind around the fact that somebody took over in Chicago in, in 2015. He made the he made the uh, postseason four times out of five years. He made the NLCS three times out of five years. He won the World Series. And then five years later, he, they're, they're telling him to leave. Like, that, that's crazy to kind of – and I thought it was the right move. I won't lie. But it's crazy to kind of wrap your mind around that. It's just he's a, he's a largest personality. He has an unorthodox style of managing an unorthodox style. I've talked to Chandler Rome about this, who covers the Astros for the Houston Chronicle. With the way GMs and stuff are in baseball nowadays, and the way everything is kind of plugged in by the numbers, a lot of a manager's job is managing a clubhouse, managing not necessarily egos, but cohesiveness of a clubhouse, keeping guys morally engaged over the... I'm not morally, mentally engaged over the grind of a season. Like... Um, like uh, AJ Hinchis is a psychology major, and that's one of his biggest assets to that clubhouse. Is not that he doesn't do anything during games, but that's a huge part of it. And my point being is Madden's thing works, but I think there's a shelf life for it. That's certainly fair. Um, and and, and I, I look, I'm a Cubs fan. I'm I'm fine with it moving on. Um, they better get it right, though. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm worried about. Is who's like? Are you going to go hire David Ross? Are you going to hire your bench coach? Like. What are you going to do to get this right? That's what 
I think that's kind of the thing where, like, if Ole Miss ever moved on from Mike Bianco, it's like, okay, well, what are you going to do now? It kind of feels like that with the, with the Cubs. I mean, you better get this one right. I read a Jeff Passan report, too, that if the Cubs did indeed let go of Madden, which obviously at this point they did, that the Angels might axe uh, Brad Osmond after you and go after him. They He could turn – Joe Madden, with what they've got in Los Angeles right now, could turn the AL West. He could really be a real SOB to the Astros and the A's. Yeah, I don't know if they have enough pitching to make that work, though. No, but they're not exactly bashful about spending money in free agency. No, 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 God, no. They have Shohei, Albert, Mike Trout. I mean, they're they paying them a billion dollars. And Shohei's going to pitch again at some point. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, anyway, last thing we'll do today is uh, we'll go through some NFL stuff. Um, I, I don't know, a ton of impressions. Uh, the Patriots are human. I think that yeah. showed there's Tom Brady, they're winning – they are no longer winning because of him. I'm not sure if I'm ready to go full on in spite, but they are carry, They are a power running team with a really, really, really good defense, and Brady's just kind of lagging a little bit behind. I mean, shocker, he's 42. They're human. I felt bad for Josh Allen. I don't think he's very good against good defenses. He th- takes way too many downfield risks. But, man, that shot he took to the head was kind of scary. I hope he's okay. The Bills are going to be okay. I, I would argue if you look at the rest of that division and whatever the hell Miami thinks they're trying to do, you know, the Jets with Darnold okay. Like, in ten, in the next five, seven years, the Bills are the most stable organization. So when Brady does move on and there's probably a little bit of a letdown with Belichick, the Bills are going to have a window, I think. Yeah, and I think the Bills make the playoffs this year just by simple math. I mean, I think they're going to be – uh, the Jets at home, they're going to beat Miami twice. That's six wins. I think they find three more somewhere along the way. That's a 9-7 and seven and a wild card team, in my opinion. So, I, I think Buffalo is a pretty decent football team, um, which, which is good for them. Uh, I, I've always kind of liked Buffalo. So, uh, so, I think they're a decent team. Their defense is going to carry them. Josh Allen, is, I think he's fine. I don't think he's good. Um, but I think he's good enough to get you a wild card spot this year. Another team you're talking about on the other side in the NFC that I've kind of stumped for again this year, my three big stumps this year have actually come somewhat true amidst the other pile of shit I was wrong about. Um, the Lions lost the game, but they're not bad. It's like all my people almost forgot that Matthew Stafford's pretty good. Now they've got some defensive pieces. The Chiefs, I know they scored 34 points. It's weird to say the Lions' defense played well, but one of those was a 110-yard fumble or 100-yard fumble return for a touchdown. They had some other weird stuff go on. Like, the Lions' defense is okay. Like, Mahomes didn't score a touchdown. Like, the Lions are in a division where the Bears don't look particularly great. The Vikings, it is kind of – we'll get to that in a second. Like, the Lions could sneak into a wild card. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, they haven't played the Packers yet. I don't think they're necessarily worth that much – you know, behind the Packers. No, not at uh, all. Yeah, so that, that division's wide open, uh, except for Minnesota, because they suck. I guess we'll go ahead and get to that now. I was telling my roommates were sitting there trying to bet on the game, and I was just sitting there writing. I was writing my uh, my uh, day after thing, and they were like, what should I do? And I was like, I don't know. All I know is Kirk Cousins uh, sucks against good defenses, and what do you well, know? I mean, it's 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 it's... It is what it is at this point, is it not? There is no more. We're waiting to see if he gets it. He will crush. He will kick the living hell out of a out of a four and nine team in week twelve, or a six and six team in week thirteen, or whatever it is. 
but he goes up against any defense that is a top tier, and he's horrible. Not just not just average to bad. He is horrible. Yeah, and, it, and our offensive line didn't play well, but he took a lot of sacks that were all him. And uh, look, they're 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 not a well coached football team either. They try to run the ball when they can't run the ball. Like that that was infuriating. If you're a Vikings fan yesterday, just watching them line up and run against the eight man front. Um, so. It, look, Kirk Cousins is fine. I think he's probably, I think he's better than Josh Allen, but he's, he's in the same realm of they're okay. Like, I don't think, you're paying him $28 million a year is absolutely astronaut, though. There's there's a line for where what kind what which tier of quarterbacks you can win a Super Bowl with and which one you can't and Kirk Cousins is the first one that didn't get in the club. He is the line. You I don't think you can win a Super Bowl with Kirk Cousins. Can he's so bad on third down. Yeah, I think you can win a Super Bowl with Dak Prescott. I would rather have Dak Prescott as my quarterback than Kirk Cousins. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think Prescott's barely on the inside of the door. Like he's probably a couple spots in front of the line to get in in front of Cousins, and he's probably just giving him the finger, like, ha, I got in and you didn't. But, like, <laughs> I don't think you can win a Super Bowl with Cousins. I, I, I don't. I mean, he's – to me, that was enough. I, I know I, I know that's a weird line to draw in the sand, but, like, you're not it, – it's it. I would cut ties with him. I would eat the money and find someone else. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. Because the uh, rest of that roster is good. The defense is good. they got good receivers. They have one of the best backs in the NFL that no one really talks about in Dalvin Cook. You got everything else. Go get a guy that can throw. Yeah, go. I don't know. Draft one. I don't know. Figure something else out. Go get Chad Kelly. Let's see what he does. I'm kidding a little bit, but I. It. You, you can't win with Kirk Cousins, man. He can't do anything. Like, I, I don't know. I, I think they got to move on from that. Um. I think the debate for the best backup in the league is probably over. I think Teddy Bridgewater is probably the second. Ryan Tannehill is the third. But I think Chase Daniel might be the best backup in the league. Yeah. Well, he doesn't need to be their backup is the problem. Yeah, but they're invested on Mitch. They're not moving off him because of that. And Daniel played in a couple games last year and did not look nearly that good. I don't know. I think he's a very good backup like Teddy Bridgewater. Um, Daniel- I think Ron Fitzpatrick is the second best backup. Thank you. Eh. Look, I don't think Bridgewater is that good. Uh, I think Sean Payton's a genius, but I don't think Bridgewater is that good of an uh, actual quarterback. Okay, everyone talks about boy genius Sean Payton. That uh, third down call last night with the game on the line was inexcusable. Yeah, he does dumb stuff like in game. Like he coaches the, with too much testosterone. He coaches too aggressive and too angry, and it hurts them. Yeah. Okay. You, you call it dumb. Man. They were trying to get a first down and win the football game. Otherwise, you're going to be kicking a long field goal. And I know the field goal kicker is good, but if he misses it, you're up a creep. I don't know. I didn't necessarily hate that idea that to try to find something in the passing game because they probably weren't worried about Dallas's last time out either. That's fine if you have Drew Brees, but you're leading a game in which you have not scored a touchdown with a backup quarterback, and the other offense hasn't done anything either. Kick the field goal, make them go the length of the field, and put the ball in the end zone. Yeah, but what if you miss the field goal? It's a, it's inside fifty yards in the NFL. Will Lutz is going to hit it. Maybe I, I just man that that to me I would I would I would try to get eight yards there. I don't know. He's there. Uh, jo- uh, um, Daniel Jones two and zero. Oh. Yeah, and actually looks good. He's a good quarterback. Like we talked about last week, he's going to be an okay quarterback. I think I know it's too it's early. It's almost tell. like these Twitter warriors don't exactly know, uh, you know, quarterback play. Uh, from a DM's perspective, there's just no, there's just no, there's no nuance on Twitter. There's no nuance on the internet. 
And in a day and age, as we talked about last week, where there is no prototypical quarterback anymore, it's always going to be high risk, high reward. And so the Giants, you know, they're not necessarily a great run franchise. You can knock them for a ton of stuff. But if they saw a dude they liked and they went and got him and now it's paying off, you can't fault him for that. No, no. Like, like I said, people on Twitter are not the brightest um, because they thought Daniel Jones didn't even be in the NFL. I don't know how good they are. But their season's not over. They're back in it. Two and two in that division. Yeah. I mean, in the NFC, you're in it. You're I, Dallas I, is three and one. Uh, the Eagles are what two and two. Yep. I mean, why not? Go for it. Uh, that was a huge win for Baker Mayfield and the Browns. Mayfield played really well. Twenty thirty three. Baker to show up. Yeah, he did. Um, Lamar Jackson. Uh, kicked the crap out of two really bad teams has looked somewhat limited since I think they're still a pretty good team but I think there needs to be the proverbial pumping of the brakes just a tad yeah well, I, I'm still in kind of like the wait and see mode on Lamar Jackson he's definitely improved as a passer but I don't know if it's to the point to where they're actually going to be like the first couple of weeks you're like oh boy is this like is this Mahomes 2.0 in the AFC no not exactly I don't know wait and see that division's going to be fascinating Cleveland's yeah. two and two, Baltimore's two and two, Pittsburgh's zero oh and three, and they're probably out of it. Yeah, Pittsburgh's this year done. Yeah, but at the same time, the winner of that game tonight's one game back in the division. I mean, sure, but they're also probably going to stay one game back or, or stay back because they suck. Sure, but if you're a team like Cincy that still has your starting quarterback and you win and you're one and three, uh, you still got a puncher shot because you haven't played either of those teams yet. Now they got all kinds of defensive issues, but the fact that you're one and three and still in the thick of things and you're not teetering on disaster is interesting to me. Um, sure. Jameis is probably best day in the NFL. Yeah, yeah, he's actually been pretty good this year. Because Bruce Arians is a really, really good quarterback coach, and they're getting the best out of him. And Jameis Winston has gone from a dead man walking to a waste of a season to if they had a field goal kicker, they'd be 3-1 and one at least and maybe 4-0. Oh. Yeah, and it's funny. Um, the Rams scored 40 points and lost. Like, that's how well Jameis played. Yep. Um, he had a bad interception in the fourth quarter. That's just yeah. kind of what you get with Jameis, but there was so much more good than bad. He's gone from this is a lost season to they might extend him on a two-year-ish deal. Is uh, is Marcus Mariota just ever going to be consistent? Like, either be terrible or be good, man. Like, figure it out. I don't want to get into that today. It's going to make my brain hurt. Minshew <laughs> Mania. Do what? Minshew Mania. He's good. <laughs> he's yeah, good. he's actually, like, people are going to say, oh, he's fine. No, I think this dude can play. So like, the, the touchdown where he moved around and all that, there were three or four times where he extended plays with his feet, and it's just like, hold on, that's not just like him getting them down the field. Now, granted, Fournette was a man-child yesterday, but yeah. Minshew's a playmaker. Yeah, yeah, not good enough play on this, though. Um, but he can play. Uh, and look, Foles is going to come back in here in three or four weeks, and he's going to be the starting quarterback, but I'm fascinated with what they do with Minshew. I don't think he's going to be a backup for very long if somebody wants him. I think he's good and good for him. This I, I don't really get him. I don't get emotionally invested in anything in the NFL. I pick a team. I follow the Titans. If the Titans lose on a Sunday, it does not affect my day in the slightest. To be honest, it's cool to follow a team though. But like, I kind of felt myself emotionally wrapped up in Minshew's deal. Like yeah, I was I rooting too. for him I very think... hard. And I don't really know why. I think it's a cool story. I think he's weirdly the most relatable dude on planet Earth, and. Like, I wonder what his teammates think of him. He's warming up in a jockstrap and, like, aviators. Like, Yeah, I'm the same way. Like, I don't even I don't have the Sunday ticket or whatever, so I just watch whatever game is on Channel 4 or 27. But I actually went and found the stream and watched all of Minshew's game yesterday. So I, I certainly invested in uh, the Jaguars, at least while he's playing. 
Um, I think Dak and the Cowboys will be fine. That was a hell of a performance by the Saints defense. They win. I've never more. seen a, a crowd impact the game like I did last night. Uh, the Cowboys' offensive line is a good unit, and they could not handle that noise. Couldn't fire off the football. Couldn't block anybody. Um, I think the crowd really got to them last night. That environment must have been nuts, too, because there were a lot of Cowboys fans there. You could hear it when they did something well. So I bet that environment was cool to be in last night. Um, I don't think we missed anything. I think the NFC West is going to be an interesting race because Seattle's 3-1, Rams look human-ish, and the Niners are 3-0. Yep, the Niners lead the division. Yeah, I mean, of course, Arizona, they're going to struggle. Murray's a fun watch. He'll be okay. uh, Who's going to win the wild card game before we get out of here? Oh, that's a good uh, good one. So which one's Tuesday and which one's Wednesday? Tuesday is Brewers uh, Nats in Washington. Brandon Woodruff getting the ball uh, from Wheeler, Mississippi against Max Scherzer. I think Washington, but I don't know how you go against the Brewers at this point with the way they played the last few weeks, but I'm going to go. Well, you say that, but the Brewers had a chance to win the division this weekend and just laid an egg in Colorado. That is very true. Um, so I'll go Washington, and then I think I'm going to go Oakland. Okay. Yeah, I, I think I agree with both of those. Uh, do you have do you have any upsets in the in the DSs? I think Oakland could give Houston some problems if they were to win the wild card game, and I think Washington could really screw up the Dodgers. But other than that, no. I mean, I just don't know enough. Like, no, I mean, in the sense that, like there's so much unknown. Like, how, they, do the Twins bash the ball for five games? Do they struggle? I don't know. I don't. I think if the I think the Dodgers are going to make the World Series pretty easily because I think Strasburg and Scherzer are both going to pitch tomorrow night. You're going to start Pat Corbin in a game one and Anibal Sanchez in a game two, um, and I don't think that's going to work out for you. Uh, I th- I think it's going to be Dodgers Yankees. I, that, that's my projection for the World Series. Fair enough. I got to get out of here. I got to go get to this press conference. Uh, we'll be back at it on Wednesday. I'm sure I'll have a Vanderbilt guy on. We'll kind of do the same routine, get into some other stuff on Wednesday. I'm sure we'll have some basketball talk on Wednesday as well as basketball media day is after the football press conference day. Maybe have some quarterback clarity after going to practice on Tuesday. Should be an interesting week. A lot going on for Ole Miss basketball, a lot on the football front. It's suddenly the football teams, like even after getting their brains beat in Alabama, whether it be the quarterback, whether they're being shown more life on offense, they're at least interesting. It's not boring. So we, yeah. we got a lot of stuff for you. One last time, I'd like to remind you, go to LB's, University Avenue, across from Kroger. Go get a steak. Go get something to cook. He's got seafood. He's got all kinds of stuff. Go see Greg. He has the meats. Um, that's about all I got. I'm going to get out of here to this press conference. You got anything else? Sounds good. All right. For Colin Brister, I'm Brian Scott Rippey. We'll be back at it on Wednesday. A Super Talk Mississippi yeah. media production.